a Podcast One production. Hello and welcome to Hookline and Sinker's Boat Shed. This is episode two, Choices, Choices. Boating isn't a passing craze, it's a passion, a lifestyle and an obsession. With so many boats, styles and sizes to choose from here in Australia, buying a boat can be one of the biggest and toughest decisions of your life. I'm Luke McCredden and with me is Andrew Hart and Nick Digan from the hit TV show, Hook, Line and Sinker. In the last episode, we looked at some of the initial things to consider in the early boat purchasing stages, but Nick, as we delve deeper and deeper into the seemingly endless choices that we need to be making in this process, we need to stop and just find somewhere to start. Do you remember your first boat purchase? I remember it like it was yesterday, Luke, like it was yesterday. It was a cold, <laughs> blustery day in Hobart. Uh, I was at the Lewis Marine Boat Yard and there, um, sitting up the back of the yard, a bit like a hidden gem, was a Yalta Craft 189. It was in cream and mustard uh, with a 150 horsepower Mercury on the back. Um, and, the, and the previous owner had taken the liberty of painting it in varnish. I think um, to, in order to keep its original luster. Unfortunately, the varnish had started to peel off, so it was a, it was a bit mangy looking, um, but I loved it. It had striking lines. It was a little half-cab type boat, you know, sort of cuddy cab, half-cab type thing. Quite a bit of power on the back, so I was, you know, I was thinking it's going to be go fast. Um, I paid for it. I, I'm not, I can't remember whether I did an on-water test. I think I probably did because I was a bit of a boat expert in those days and I would have said <laughs> uh, intelligent and interesting things about how it went. Uh, and I dutifully took it home and I think possibly that night I slept in it, in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> such was my, um, such was my joy at, this was the, the, boat, my first boat that I bought with my own money. I'd kind of grown up. Um, I grew up on Flinders Island, uh, which is in the middle of Bass Strait, which is kind of a boaty place. And so my family had boats and we had, uh, our family boat was a boat called the Mighty Pegasus. It was called the Pegasus, which is a flying horse because it was a Mustang. And it had the one of the first 200s in Australia in 1975. So it was fast. Uh, the Flying Mustang, so it was the Pegasus. I loved that boat. It was a very hard riding boat, Andrew. Sunk yeah. three times. <laughs> yeah. uh, had a pretty checkered history. I once tied it up to the mooring and then uh, the next day was violently and rudely awakened by my father who said the boat had gone and was no longer tied up to the mooring. We didn't see it for another week. Uh, until it was discovered by somebody else washed up on the back of an island, you know, 90 miles away. <laughs> you couldn't kill that boat no. because it washed up. Didn't it wash up on the only beach on that island? Like, uh, no, you know, it washed up on the rocks. On the rocks, yeah. yeah. It was still yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, it leaked fine badly as we drove it home yeah. in the middle of the night. But yeah. she still goes. Yeah. Uh, I've been in that boat many times, yep. Pegasus. Yep. Um, my first boat, my mum bought me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was a 12-foot Stacey with an 8-horsepower Johnson on the back of it. And it gave me so much freedom. I actually got it just before I got my license, but eventually I got my P's. I had a little Toyota Tercel, and on the back of that went the 12-foot Stacer, and off I went uh, exploring Tasmania, just going fishing, basically all around the state. It, it gave me the freedom to go, you know, snap a fish. Open up just all these new doors for me in, in a fishing sense. You know, I'd, I'd sort of grown up fishing, but to now be able to get out there. In a boat. In a boat. Yes. Uh, it was just Fantastic. Exponential. Yes, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned that you've got to put the bung in. Yep. I learned that half a metre sea in that sort of boat is like braving the perfect storm. Yeah. But look, it, it, it just gave me some amazing fishing and uh, and I would go to school and I would 
finish school and I would tow my boat down to the local river and I would go snapper fishing and that was sort of how I, I spent grade 12 and uh, and never really grew up from there. I gave that boat to my cousin. I know, yes. And then he sold that it. That he sold it. Um, yeah, <laughs> but anyway, love, still love a tinny. Mm, love a tinny. Mm. Oh, very similar, Andrew. The same boat uh, with a, I think it was a seven and a half horsepower oh, Johnson engine. Yeah, it right. now lives uh, without the engine in our family dam. Oh, so yeah. It's a, it's a bass and yellow belly fishing boat now, but the, it's, it was passed down from generations and it's just, it stood the test of time. Still, well, an interesting race actually, with mine. Yeah. Yeah, well, it didn't go very fast, and it often right. didn't start straight away. Ah, right. My dad, we used to beach launch it down at um, into the bay, and Dad quite often had to walk it out up to his neck, and then somehow scramble in and try and start it, and it did. And it, and like you, Andrew, it, it opened up my eyes into the world of fishing from a boat, which was a fantastic memory. But as I said, still lives and is in the family dam, and is as good as gold. But it's it it does. Um, raise an interesting question because obviously mm-hmm. you're talking a lot about fiberglass, Nick, throughout this and, and our, our old tinnies, Andrew. I mean, is there a better hull to, to, to choose or are they have they each got their pros and cons? It's kind of the age-old question, you know, when you're looking for a boat, should I buy fiberglass or should I buy aluminium? They, they would appear to be, you know, almost exactly interchangeable outwardly. As it turns out, like I've done some research into this and um, one isn't necessarily better than the other. It is the fact that they are each different in in some small way, Andrew. Look, you're a big fiberglass fan, I'm saying, Nick, because when I when I sort of first met yep. you, you had the bandit. Yep. Or bandit. Yes. Uh, which was a, a Caribbean reef runner. Yep. Big, heavy yes. fiberglass. Thing. I mean, Built for, like a tank. Yep. And back in the day, it was a big trailer boat. Yep. Yeah, 21 foot uh, inboard, you know, stern drive, big V8 in there, Luke, and all that yep. sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And you, you know, you bump your head on that, they just hose it off and sell it to somebody else. <laughs> um, they were big, <laughs> strong boats. And fiberglass, as I intimated last episode, was first developed, you know, after the war kind of thing. And it, what it did was enable people to make relatively complex shapes pretty easily. All you needed was a mould. So if you make a female mould and smear some epoxy and fibreglass in there, you basically you can make a boat. Uh, and fibreglass is very good for that. So fibreglass is heavier than aluminium. So from a ride and handling perspective, fibreglass will go through water a bit better and a bit softer than uh, an aluminium boat, just given its extra weight. So it's heavier. Aluminium kind of has to be broken down into two categories, I think, honey. There's the what's known as pressed aluminium. So these are your little boats, you know, your tinnies and that sort of stuff, which are basically relatively thin aluminium sheet pressed over something to give it its shape. Yep. Aluminium doesn't really love to be pressed, so there's kind of only so much you can do with it. Then the bigger boats obviously are made out of plate aluminium, which is, as it sounds like, strips of plate alloy welded into a shape. Obviously, they've come along, you know, in massive degree of recent times. So, you know, nowadays, for example, Hardy, we go around the country in bar crusher boats, which are built in Melbourne, Australia, built with very complicated manufacturing techniques, you know, robots that weld them and all that sort of stuff. So they're, they're a pretty complex hull shape and they're, um, I, I think, probably close the gap as much as you, as you can, you know, in terms of ride and handling for glass V alloy. Alloy's light, alloy's tough, 
I think there's a lot to like about aluminium. You know, even those pressed little tin boats that you're talking about, yeah. they are light. Yeah. So you could go caravanning around the country and throw one, literally throw one on, on the, the roof. On the roof. Yeah. Um, and you've always got a boat with you and that's good. You can tow it behind not a big car. Big car. Yeah. And that's good. So, you know, if you, if you just want to go out in the bay and catch snapper or yep. in the lake and catch barra, um, you can tow it up there with a sedan and, you, you know, you're in the game. They also need less power, you know, for, yep. for length, you know, so significant fuel saving and cost saving in terms of how much horsepower you've got to buy. Correct. They're also, as you as you touched on, they're tough. So you can pull it up on the beach. You can pull it up on a beach. You, you know, can drop a really big one, yeah. Luke, okay. on a boat Ooh. ramp at Harvey Bay, for example. So up. this is Andrew's uh, launching our Bar Crusher 780, which is a, Mac, you know, that's 7.8 metre trailer boat, which he launched straight down onto the concrete in Harvey Bay to the delight of the crowd. <laughs> well, there wasn't a crowd there. Um, there was one bloke. But by the end of it, there was a crowd. after the crane came and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, then there was a crowd of 30 or 40 people yes. standing around watching. But it what was, was remarkable about that, and I was actually in the boat as it was launched onto the concrete and it made an almighty bang, was the almost negligent damage that it did to the hull. It put a scrape up the side of the boat that was probably 40 centimetres long, and yeah. that was it. Yeah. Um, it. The engine hit, so we had a, a bit of gearbox issues, but that's what you have insurance for. Yes. And, uh, and look, the boat itself, the hull that. itself, <laughs> uh, was just a, scri- a scrape. Unbelievable. If you'd have done that to uh, Bandit, for example, oh, God. a big fibreglass <laughs> yeah. boat, you're not going to have that boat back on the water for a year or more because generally fibreglasses take a long time to fix your product because yes. they're sought after and hard to find. Yes. Uh, and, you know, it's a big it's a big fix. You can fix a fibreglass boat if you put a hole in it. It's Look, not a problem. That is one of the things about fibreglass boats yep. that they are almost indestructible, yes. basically. That, that, you know, that glass bit, that fibreglass bit, that plastic and glass fibre bit, obviously most of them were built with wooden inlays between the sheets of fiberglass. So often the wood will rot out of them. That, that makes them a yep. bit um, a bit ho-hum. But the glass bit lasts kind of forever and they can be inevitable or, or almost uh, renewed over time. You know, you just add some more glass and patch up the holes and away you go again. Yeah, glass does not rot. No. Um, Whereas aluminium, very good for a trailer boat, but it's a bit um, – you've got to be a little bit careful with aluminium. It doesn't like, you know, it doesn't like stainless steel. So if you bolt something stainless steel to it, it kind of gets electrolysis. cancer. Electrolysis. Yeah, yeah which so. it's, it's a slow sort of burn cancer. It doesn't just put a hole yeah. in it straight away. So if you, you can stay on top of it. Yeah. It's one of the few things that really you need to – the maintenance that you need to do to an aluminium boat, you just got to check that there's nothing that you know an opposing metal that is causing any issues. Other than that, it just needs a hose. That's a positive. You know, they're, they're pretty easy to look after. So, um, you know, in the argument of glass versus alloy, I don't think there is a clear winner. It's a personal preference thing. And again, it brings us back to that issue of identifying what you want to do with this boat anyway. If it's something, if if you go boating and you need to drag your boat up onto a rocky shore, don't buy a glass boat. No. Buy an alloy boat. They love that. Yeah, and if, if you if you go boating, if you chase the tuna and you want to tow it 600 kilometres each way, don't buy a massive fibreglass boat unless yeah. you're prepared to buy an F-truck to tow it. But, you know, again, a fibreglass boat has its, if you like to cruise the waterways and pull up on the beach, happy days, and you, you want the ultimate ride and handling boat, then a fibreglass boat probably has something to offer in that space. Yeah. 
Now, I think for the most part, what we're our discussion so far in this episode has been around a single hull, a mono hull boat. But there yes. are options, Nick, out there to for multiple hulls, for tri hulls, for cats, for all sorts of things on the market. Yeah, well, boat makers and boat builders they like to try things, don't they? You know, you want to because boat design hasn't changed a lot. If you go back, you know, a boat built in the sixties is by and large what you buy now. It's broadly similar. But down a long time, there have been um, sort of branches off. So the most common one is the catamaran or the cat, you know. So that's two hulls. You'll see them there. Common-ish, what are they? There's 10% of boats out on the water are cats, would you say? Yeah, if that. They're sort of like craft beer, you know. It's it's like the the mass-produced beer tastes good and you can drink it. Um, But these sort of little offshoots of catamarans and tri-hunters and hydrofoils, they they exist, they're out there and, and enthusiasts own them. But let's be honest, they taste like mud and sticks. No, um, no, that's that's not true, Andrew. And, and, now uh, the time to bring up that I owned a Marlin Broadbill for a number of years. Oh my God, you did not! Absolutely loved every minute a, of it. A Marlin Broadbill, six metre Marlin Broadbill. Wow, that's yeah. one of the ugliest boats that's yeah. ever been built. I don't, I don't know what to say to that. I'm um, offended. Yeah, Beautiful but boat. No, but to the eye, deeply yeah. offensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A Marlin Broadbill, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a um, an aluminium catamaran. So um, not only are catamarans difficult to make in <laughs> glass, which gives you the opportunity to make nice soft shapes, in aluminium they always look a bit like an outhouse, don't square, they? square, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. square, yes, not yes. round and nice. No, not, uh, not but sleek. Look, catamarans are good. Um, one of my favourite boats... Um, a couple of my mates own. It's called Cold Gold. Yeah, which is a reference to abalone. Yes, it is. Because mm. uh, you go down there and you chip them off, and it's just like cold gold. <laughs> it's a twenty-one <laughs> foot Kevlar cat. Yep, twin one fifties on the back of it, so quite a bit of power. Yep, sucks the juice. Yeah, they they do need quite a bit of power to get them up and going, but they go fast. Yep. And the thing I would say about a catamaran is in those you know those conditions where you just got a, a wind chop. Yep. You know, a chop up to sort of maybe a metre. And it, it'll knock around a mono boat. It just will. But these catamarans sort of get up and, and it's like riding on a magic carpet. They'll get up over this chop and they'll cut right through it. Well, um, you get this forced air. You get hmm. this lift in the tunnel of the cat, Luke. So you have air being compressed into the tunnel, which lifts the boat out. So it does, to some extent, sit on a cushion of air. Yes. Very, very nice. Yeah, and until 35, you've experienced, yeah. 35 knots yeah. a- across choppy conditions, which you couldn't do in a mono boat. But in I'm your also mono boat, you're back at 18 to yes. 20 knots, getting, um, getting beaten up a bit. Yes. Yep. But I've also been in cold gold in some mountainous seas. Yes. And I've never been so scared in all of my life. It feels like it wants to go over, broach and go over. Yes. There are some handling issues which are very very peculiar to catamarans. And one, yeah, is that burying, they, they will bury either one or the other front sponsor yes. if you don't get the wave quite right. So there is a very disconcerting moment mm. where the bow, you know, the starboard or port bow will go down and then it will continue to go down to such <laughs> a point where you think this thing isn't going to come back. Yep. So, you know, ab divers swear by catamarans. We were in the market for one recently. Yep. You need two engines. 
yep. generally speaking. Yep. So there is a uh, obviously double the cost, double cost yeah. there. Yep. They're big, they're heavy, um, they use a lot of gas. They're, so They're also wet, I would say. When you're yep. going along at 45 knots in your catamaran, it's fun, but they do suck a lot of spray back. So yep. they're, they're sort of wet. They're, they're almost a work boat. Yeah, and I yep. think that that's what I was going to say about the ab divers love a, a cat is because they want to get from A to B as fast as possible and not too concerned about getting wet. You know who else loves ab divers aside uh, catamarans? Mm, who? Search and rescue mm. and marine volunteers, that sort of people, VFR types. They will come out and get you in a catamaran. Mm. So the catamaran has some... Typically, they're always built full of foam, so they're always good for buoyancy. Yep. They'll float. Andrew, it's not just catamarans that are the, the funny branch of the family tree. There is, if you're interested, you can go down the road of the tri-hull, which oh. is... A, um, which you One have of some the best boats in the world. Nick. Personal well, experience in fact, with. It, it, tri-hull is, as you say, um, you know, it has three hulls, not yeah. two. But the, the one I've got personal experience with is called the Tri-Hunter, which which is a cathedral hull. Mm. So it's got the three hulls at the front, Luke, mm. and then down aft it's sort of got a rounded hull like a mono hull. Mm. So it's three got into the one. best of both worlds. Mm. Three into one. And what happens is you get it up on the plane and you've got that air effect so that the three hulls are floating on a magic carpet and the boat's just riding along on its bum on the cathedral hull. It is a redundant branch of the boating <laughs> family tree, Luke. I don't uh, know why it didn't take off, but it does ride very well. Well, it does ride well. No, it does. It's, it's interesting, good. you know, it's interesting. Why aren't all boats tri hulls? I don't know, but they're not. <laughs> um, you've got to look pretty far and wide to find one. No. Mono hulls are the obviously the most popular boat. And I guess one thing that a mono hull does give you is is sort of more room up the front. Like yep. mostly they're space. cabins. They're, yep. they're cabin cruisers, aren't they? So a half cab. You know, it'll give you a V-berth. It'll give you storage up the front that's dry. It'll give you a nice big windscreen that you can get in out of the out of the conditions. It'll you can have um, rocket launches and clears, and and it's sort of more like a bigger boat that gives you space. Yes, it's a handy package where a cat. Yes. You know, you get these little narrow hulls and things, and you can't put anything anywhere. A bit funny. Yeah, and I think for the sake of this, these choices through mm-hmm. this episode that we're talking about, yep. for a, a new boat owner or yep. someone just getting into it, a single hull is probably where they're going to start. Look, that's where 95% of people are. So uh, if you go down the other road, if you go down the cat or, God forbid, the try, you're kind of on your own to some extent. Yeah, the choices don't stop there, though, because when you are looking at a boat yard or online, you'll notice all sorts of different sort of configurations, I suppose, on top of the boat. You mentioned cabins, uh, Andrew, but there's also centre consoles or side consoles Mm. or tiller steer, so many options. It's interesting. You know, when when fibreglass boats sort of got going in Australia, we went mad. First off, they started off like cars, like people want... Wanted to have them like they had their car. My, um, I have an old Haynes Hunter V19, a very early model, um, you know, 1960s version of that, which in its original configuration had back-to-back seats and twin ashtrays yeah. and cigarette lighters and all this sort of stuff, which is great as long as it's sitting in the driveway. You can use all that stuff. As soon as you put it in the water and you're sitting down basically on the floor on your back-to-back seat, you go over any sort of wave and you get thrown through the little um, canvas canopy that's above (laughs) your head and whatever else. So it was completely hopeless. And that was the kind of runabout style. Then we discovered this, um, the half cab, you know, and everyone went mad for these little half cabin boats, like a 16-foot half cab. So... 
almost two-thirds of the boat is dedicated to this weird little house mm. with little windows and you could sit. You couldn't sleep in there because it was not big enough. I'm not sure what you're meant to do in your half, your small half no, cabin your boat. No, small half cab boat's a bit of an odd thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you've got the cabin, but as you say, it's too small to do anything with. Yeah. You could put your kid up there maybe. Yes. Um, but it, it, it keeps the weather off you. So, you know, if, you, if you're trolling slowly or something, you can sit up in the cabin and be protected. Or if you're sitting there in wind, anchored up, you can sit up there in the cabin and be protected. That's but not for bad. fishing purposes, there's not no, a hell of a lot of room. That's there's really the cabin not, takes the room. And so. you don't sort of see any of that style of boat anymore. You know, no. we, we've kind of migrated away from that and, and sort of prioritised fishing space typically is what these boats tend to do. Yes. So then we can look at, uh, you know, what's called a console boat, which is an open boat. And we put... The, the steering wheel, basically, which is a console, um, and it can be, you know, a centre console boat is popular one, so that you've got an open, basically, tinny or fibreglass boat, and in the middle of it is a steering wheel where you stand up and you drive the boat. You do get wet. Mm. You get the old salt sandwich from time to time, uh, you know. It, <laughs> yep. it just goes with the yep. territory. But what you've got then is, you know, 360-degree fishability. Mm. Uh, most of them now have a casting deck up the front. So you step up onto a casting deck, you can have an electric motor up there and sneak along, you know, casting lures. But you've also got the back of the boat as well where you can yeah. um, catch a marlin out of if you want to. So for fishability, console boats are very, very good. For yeah, really constantly hard. casting, lure fishermen, yep. perfect sort of a boat. I will... If you're, not, if you're not quite hardcore enough to go full console boat, you can get, I guess, a lot of um, walk-arounds, which will give you kind of a bit more than a console in the middle. You might get a little cabin or something if you want somewhere where you can get out of the weather or a bit more weather protection. If you're a little bit softer, Drew, if you don't like the salt sandwich all the time, the uh, the walk-around's not a bad way to go, a bit of a compromise between a cabin and a console. Well, this but, choice kind of revolves around where you are too. I think yeah, I love yeah, a centre yeah. console and have had, but I live in Melbourne. Yeah. You know, the weather's yeah. 90% ordinary. Changeable. Uh, a lot of people up north in Queensland and the top end, you'll see a lot of side and centre console boats because you're not going to really get too much horrible weather in terms of cold wind and yeah. hail and rain. And a boat that's fit for purpose. Yeah. Exactly. And look, it's interesting. I'll just touch on the boat that we're picking up from Barcrosser this year. Yeah. Is a bow rider. So another style of boat that probably hasn't taken off but is making well, a comeback, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they're, they're big in places, the bow rider. I don't yeah. think they've ever gone that well in Australia. No, maybe in the skiing sort yep, of yep. in the skiing side of things. You know, you've got the the bow of the boat has sort of cushions and a lounge that you can lounge around while your mate skis at the back. But that's now coming back to sort of a more user friendly fishing boat. So our bar crusher, you walk through the windscreen and there is indeed a lounge where you can sit and relax. Then a false floor goes over the top of that, so you've got a casting platform. Mm. It's going to be an interesting thing. Interesting boat. You know, the the bow rider works really well in enclosed waterways. Mm. It's the worst place to sit when there's any sort of chop. If you're sitting up the front, you know, yep. which is typically where your significant other or children might be uh, as you're driving your new boat and you're going, darling, isn't this fantastic? And you're saying, I'm getting very wet and very beaten up up here um, and I hate this boat and call you home and I hate you anyway. Um, so bow riders on flat water has, yep. you know, typically been the go when it's sunny, sun's out, we're kicking back, it's flat, you're up yeah, the yeah. front there, very good, happy days. So this one that you're talking about, Hardy, is a, is a nice thing because – 
when you haven't got the wife and kids on board, you put the bow platform in there and it's a casting deck and then yep. when you've got a nice day and everybody's coming out for a day on the boat, rip that out and you've got a lounge. Yeah. Mm. Toe the biscuit, toe the scoes. Be interesting and, uh, to see. You know, a, an all-rounder. You're listening to Hookline and Sinker's Boat Shed with Luke McCredden, Andrew Hart and Nick Digan. If you're enjoying the series, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just hit five stars and tell us what you like about the series and why. You can get in touch with us and say g'day on our Facebook page, Hook, Line and Sinker, Australian Fishing Show. Ski boats are an interesting one. There's a lot for sale online. Are there? Yeah. Are there? I don't know what that tells you, but there are some that are $1,500 right up to $800,000. I mean, that's a lot to drop on a ski yeah. boat, isn't it? Eight hundred k. Yeah. you got to like your skiing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What you are got... we going to do today, Dad? We're going skiing. So. <laughs> yeah. um, no. I, and, you know, look, we've, we've been kind of, I guess, through this series uh, making the point that all boats are compromises and compromised in some way. Well, not so much ski boats. They do one thing, basically. I guess you can fish out of them. Not really. No. <laughs> Not really. Um, um, I mean, you sort of can. Listen They've to got, music. Yeah. Oh, massive, like loud music. Loud, loud music. music. Big speakers. Um, yes. You have a wakeboard tower, so you can uh, wakeboard and ski. Yes. Uh, kneeboard. Same thing. Everyone's happy in the uh, ski boat ads. Everyone's oh, they're having happy. a terrific time. Having a great time. Oh, yeah. God, to be in one of those ads, to be I living know. that life. Exactly. Yeah. But it should be noted, though, we do yep. all the boat shows uh, around the place, and ski boats are oh, very popular. Huge. I mean, we, we're not very qualified to talk on them, but they are very, very popular, and, and people are dropping serious coin. Potentially at some point in the boat shed future, we might get someone in to talk about ski boats because we're being a bit flippant about them, but they're a big segment of the market, massive, as you say. Massive segment. And uh, we shouldn't lightly deal with them. I, no. though, have used my various fishing boats um, to do toe sports. Yes. <laughs> I would just make that point. Yeah, you okay. can. Yeah. You can. If your boat, I'm getting a wave runner, a, you know, a yeah. personal watercraft yes. delivered hopefully in the next couple of weeks. And that is purely to tow the kids. Well, it's to go fishing on. Yeah. Um, but it's it, purely to tow the kids. It's purely to tow the kids <laughs> around um, you know, on, on a ski biscuit in the next few years. So you don't have to necessarily have a ski boat to ski. I'm sure there are uh, features and benefits yeah. in an $800,000 ski boat that you won't have in your um, wave runner. No. No. A ski boat is an interesting segue into my next, I suppose, choice, which yep. comes down to the engine because uh, most ski boats, I would say, have yep. the inboard. Oh, they have the big block like the yes. 7.4. Um, yes, which is what you need. I guess that it's because they come from America and uh, <laughs> that's what they like there. But um, it's something that will be a choice for some people, particularly if you're in the ski boat field. And most, as you say, most ski boats come with an engine. Well, they have a proper inboard, you know, which is a an engine in the middle of the boat, driving yep. the shaft back to a propeller, which doesn't go up and down. Um, for other people, the inboard outboard turns up, you know, particularly if we're saying that bow rider market hardy, you know, the sort of the, the ones that come in from the States, a lot of those boats have a stern drive, which is uh, either comes from Mercruiser or Volvo, mm. which is, um, you know, kind of the engines in the boat at the back. Uh, and that drives a little, an out drive or a leg, which, you know, tilts up and down in the same vein as a, um, 
as an outboard. But in Generally, my experience, everything, well, everything that I know about inboards yep. is just that they break down. Well, they have they <laughs> All have the personality. Time they, break down. they have character and yep. personality. Yeah, they don't go. And well, I think the the people who make the new ones would say that theirs go very very well indeed and are fabulous. The ones that I've interacted with <laughs> tend to be a bit older. And they don't go. No. Well, sometimes they go. It depends they, on the sort of mood they're in. You just have to look at them to work out why they don't go. You lift up the engine hatch and you look down there and I'm not mechanically minded, Luke, no. And mm. but there are thousands of just little moving parts and just systems that just want to break. Mm. And where, oh, where do you start? So for me, a four-stroke outboard engine is reliable. It goes every time you turn the key. The only thing that is going to kill it is bad fuel. In my experience, they yes. don't break down. You know, we've bought boats from people. We bought our, our Bertram 25, uh, which is a large trailer boat, you know, with the flybridge and that sort of stuff, which had two inboard outboards in it. And the bloke who sold it to us was basically terrified of it. He yeah. would go there and something would malfunction, you know, relatively simple thing if you knew something about them. But if you lifted the lid on that, you were confronted with not one but two, you know, 60s era engines and various pumps and alternators and this and that. And it, and it was a bit overwhelming. So if you're taking, you know, your friends and family out on that thing with always with in the back of your mind is the knowledge, is this thing going to go? Yeah. Makes it makes the boating experience a little bit daunting. Unless you're into it. Yeah, yeah. And some if people you're are into, into it, it you, then go brilliant. for your life. Love them. Um, yep. You know, enjoy it when it breaks down. Go, yep. oh, brilliant. That's broken down. I'll yep. get to take that off and yes. take that off and maybe get a new... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. Good. Yes. And for a lot of people, that's what boating is all about, just yeah. tinkering around. Yes. Um, but for me, I just want to turn the key and know that it's going to go. These days... Outboard engines, four-stroke outboard engines, you know, they're doing four or 5,000 hours, which is a whole lifetime for people. They're, not, they're just not going to have to worry. Get it mm. serviced every 100 hours or so, and you just don't have to worry. You don't have to have that hassle. I feel like we've uh, we, we've covered some of those choices really well, some of those really key parts of choosing your boat, whether it's a new boat or, and you're new into the market. But I suppose, Andrew, one of the things more for a used boat is, is the pre-purchase check. How important is that? Like we mentioned earlier in the in the first episode about taking someone to check the boat or mm. whatever you can to really check that it's okay. Yeah, it's sort of hard because there's not really anyone that does it that much in Australia. We bought boats from America once. Over there, you can get a survey report done on no problems at all. It probably cost you, you know, three or four hundred US dollars, and and a, a qualified person goes and looks and goes through the whole boat, and they'll give you a. 10-page report, mm. right down to little things, right down to little nicks and scratches and whatever else, and they go through the engines and they, they give you, you know, the pros and cons of that boat. We don't really have that here. You can ask the local marine dealer to go and look at the boat, I suppose, and be prepared to pay him for his for his time. But it's vital to know what you're buying and to have your eyes sort of wide open. If you're going to buy a boat off the side of the road or off Gumtree that seems cheap and too good to be true, it's going to cost you in the long run because mm. it's 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 going to have structural problems or it's going to have engine issues. So look, if you've never bought a boat before, you've got to find someone to probably look at the boat you're buying if it's secondhand. If you're just, buying a brand new one, just buy it, but just have someone go over it. Just the other day, and you probably don't know this, Andrew, but you've paid half this cost, um, I was potentially looking at a boat to buy down in Gippsland and I couldn't get there because the boat was actually in the township of Malakuta, which had the road cut off with recent bushfires that had happened. 
but the local boat dealership was open there and the, the vendor was good enough to take it to the boat dealer. The boat dealer spent he said two hours going over the boat for me, did some checks on the engines, compression, whatever else, putting him in out of gear, seeing what was what. You know, I probably would have just about bought that boat sight unseen just on the basis of what the guy selling it had told me and what I figured it was worth. But having it looked at and having it checked and with the local boat mechanic identifying that it probably needed a new gearbox, that there was a lot of metal floating around in one of the gearboxes, uh, which for one of those engines is probably a five to $8,000 mm. exercise. So I didn't buy it and save myself the money, you know, it was $300 pretty well spent, mm. I reckon. Mm. So, you know, something we don't do enough of. But those services are out there. I think if you're prepared to look around, people will have a look at it for you. Yeah. What they can often do too is is find a few little bits and pieces that yep. you might go, you know what, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I yeah, could yeah. take that on. But what it allows you to then do, Nick, is start haggling with the price. Well, that's exactly right. And the other thing you should remember, you know, if, you, if you're looking at a boat like that that's got old engines, old two-stroke outboards basically have a value of close to zero, if not zero. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's always worth bearing in mind. But, yeah, haggling, Luke, mm. buying, this is when it's good. And, and I've seen you in fine form and not with boats, with an Italian restaurant about a credit card fee. So I know <laughs> oh, that you're yes. a good haggler, I'm Nick. At, I'm at war. <laughs> I'm at war with various things, Luke. Mm. Um, credit card fees being one of them. Uh, exorbitant. Credit, I was talking to my taxi driver this morning, actually. 10% credit card fee. God. Um no, don't pay the asking price. I would suggest that all boats, whenever you list well, a you boat... you just bought a yacht. Oh, yeah, paid the asking price. <laughs> In fact, I always end up paying the asking um, price. The old Bertram 25 we bought. Yeah, yeah, we paid the paid top dollar there. Yep, what else we got? The boat that we just bought that we've got to pick up tomorrow. Yes. The Savage. Yep, the No, yep. the Pride. Yeah, the Pride. Was that asking price? Pretty much. Yeah. Right. yeah. We're a different... Because we get very excited, Luke, and we just think there are no there are no other fish in the sea. No, we had I had a most extraordinary negotiation. We recently, yeah. Andrew and I, recently have entered the world of yachting, Luke, for mm. strange reasons, just to see whether there's any comedic gold in that space. Yeah, and what we learned is that trailer sailor yachtsmen are very very tough negotiators. Mm. No, you're going to fit in well as a trailer sailor. Yeah, this was a process that went on for three months, and what did we? We ended up getting five hundred dollars off. It didn't. It doesn't seem worthwhile. But um, no, you know, I think if it's a new boat, if it's a used boat, don't be ridiculous. Nobody nobody likes a low ball offer. Nobody's interested in that. There is plenty of room to haggle and to, um, particularly, you know, if you if you have the boat looked at and if someone's identified legitimate issues that you're going to have to fix. And and make no mistake, when you are when you are getting these things fixed and you are paying someone to mm. do them, they'll bill you for them and they'll bill you big. You'll pay. <laughs> um, so you know things that you're that you know you might be a bit flippant about at the time of sale that you intend to fix you will pay for those in the long run. So it's reasonable that the vendor uh, comes to the party a little bit. Yeah, and if you do your research, it's what we often do when we're looking at a boat is break it down into its pieces. Yep. So, you know, you've got hull, motor, trailer, basically. They're the three main things that you're paying for. So look at the trailer. Is it in good nick? Is it going to break the first time you tow it? The hull, is it solid? So, you know, swing on the motor and see if the transom's soft or not. If the floor's soft in it, it's going to need replacing. Simple as that. It's just going to need replacing. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the engine, you know, it probably comes down to how new it is really. Yes, yes. Um, so if you if you break it down into those three components and then put a price on each of those components, you sort of get a good idea of what the boat might be worth. And a fibreglass boat that needs a transom and a floor 
and a stringer rebuild yeah. is basically worth nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. Because to do those jobs, you're looking at probably 15 grand. Yeah. Um, plus. Plus. Yeah. Depending on the size of the boat. Yeah. By all means, haggle. Uh, something we haven't really touched on is be- because we've focused all our attention on the boat and, mm-hmm. and trailer is where are we going to put it? It's a good question. Um, the reality of buying a boat is it's a thing that you have to store somewhere. Mm. Um, I'm currently in a storage crisis, Andrew. I've got nowhere to put anything, uh, which is a bit of a nightmare. So if you're going to buy a big boat, you need to have somewhere for it to go. I've got a mate who's paying, I think he's paying $800 a month to store his boat. Yeah, that's boat. crazy. Yeah, uh, I've got so, a mate too, though, in, you know, in the middle of Perth, in the middle of a big city. Yeah. And if you don't have land... Yeah. Around your house. Yeah. Where are you going to keep it? You've got to store your boat somewhere. So it's a really worthwhile consideration. If you're going to put it in the garage, you know, will it fit? They, they don't ever look as big as they are. Mm. You know, when you're in the boat yard walking around, it, this thing might be three metres off the ground. There are very few household garage doors that open yeah. to three metres. Yeah. It won't go in there. So yeah. just bear that in mind. It's, um, it's something you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. And keep in mind a five metre boat, is that's the boat length. So once yep. it's on the trailer, it's yep. probably another metre. Yeah, or, add two metres. Yeah. By the time the engine's sticking out the back and the drawbar of the trailer's sticking out the front, yep, you got more. So I guess yep. around Australia, most of the time, there is a storage facility of some sort, yep. a caravan and boats facility, which... Comes with a monthly bill. Yeah, there's yeah. always a solution, yeah. but it'll cost yep. more money, so just bear that in mind. Yeah, mm. so how keen you are and how, um, you know, how willing you are to soak up yet another monthly bill. Okay, so to summarise a bit, we, we, we've really uh, wrapped up some of the choices there that in, are involved in the, the purchasing process, Andrew, and I think if we were to quickly run through and, and I guess collate what we've learned in this mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. yes, yes, um, maybe if we put together a bit of a mission for what you're looking for, Andrew, at the moment. All right, so bearing in mind what we've just discussed, I'm going to choose an aluminium boat mono hull yep. with a centre console, right. an outboard engine, four-stroke yep. outboard engine, yes. uh, around about 17, 18 foot. Right. And that boat, I think I can do a lot with that I want to do in my lifestyle. I can go hardcore fishing up a creek yes. or I can take it uh, in the coastal environment on a nice day. Yes. I can also take the kids and family out. I've just endured one of the windiest summers in the history of Southern Australia where every pretty much fishing opportunity, fishing, diving, whatever boating opportunity I've had has been thwarted by a 15-knot breeze, Andrew. So I'm going to buy a boat Mm -hmm. that is going to smash a 15-knot breeze. So I'm going to go to the uh, choices checklist. It's going to be a fiberglass boat. Yes. It's going to be a catamaran. Yes. It's going to be 23 feet in length, requiring two uh, 200 horsepower (laughs) outboards. I'm going to get it pre-purchase inspected because I think that's money well spent and I'm going to pay the sticker price. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, just on those, that's what, I, that's what I'd like at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good thing. Big cat. Big cat. Yeah. For, yeah, for Flinders Island. Yeah. Smash those yeah, 15 knots, who cares? I'm yeah. going. Yep. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking of my family, Nick, yep. and I just want something that is... Can you take mine? ...comfortable. <laughs> it's all about comfort for me. So, But it's also about I don't want a heavy boat, so I'm going to keep it tin yep. because I don't want to have to get a new tow vehicle because okay. I've got young kids and I don't have any money. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I want a cabin because I want shelter, yeah. somewhere the kids can go and have a bit of a lie Play down if they need week. to. Yep. Yeah. I want them to be able to jump off the side and have a bit of a swim and also tow around a, you know, a tube that we can have a yeah. bit of fun with too. So yeah. And also do a bit of fishing off. So, yeah, mono hull, you know, outboard engine, aluminium, about five metres. Away I go. Sounds Not dissimilar good. to me. Well, I no. just don't have the cabin. You've got the cabin. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. You don't care about your kids. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I think we've wrapped that up well. There's lots of choices there, and I think we've covered them. So in the next episode of Hook, Line and Sinker's Boat Shed, Nick, it is time for the maiden voyage. What could possibly go wrong, mate? Well, plenty. Uh, but that's uh, next episode. The maiden voyage will cover it all. Hook, Line and Sinker is a Podcast One Australia production. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Thompson.